to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Leaving one's first love doesn't happen in an instant. It happens gradually, taking place as our focus slowly and imperceptibly shifts from our love relationship with the Lord to just simply doing things for the Lord. This this is just a reality that every one of us have to be aware of. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, in a message titled, Loving Jesus First. Now, here's Pastor Brian. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent." But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We're going to look at this uh, letter to the church in Ephesus, and, and we're primarily focusing in on the the specific word that the Lord has for uh, the church, rather than looking at all of the the details about uh, the city of Ephesus and some of the finer points of the letter, we're going to be looking more specifically just, you know, at the the exhortation itself. So just to to refresh your memory, when we're looking at the seven churches, so seven letters to seven churches, we're looking at the, the Lord's message to every church in every generation throughout the entire age of the church. So remember we talked about how the number seven is a, it's a representative of fullness or completion. So it's the whole church that's being addressed in these seven letters to the churches. These seven churches in their names in their graces, in their defects, in their relation to Christ and in his promises and warnings to them, comprehend everything found in the entire church as it then existed or would ever exist. So so all of the the possible scenarios are uh, put together in these letters. The challenges, the difficulties, the blessings, all of these things are are wrapped up in these letters. So these are the things that Jesus has to say to his church. And this is the part of Revelation, these two chapters here, 
These are the chapters that are really immediately relevant to us. The chapters following this are all speaking about events that are still yet future. And of course, those events, we, the church, will not even be on earth to experience, but we're going to get some insight and some understanding on on what things are uh, going to be like at that point. But the real primary application of Revelation to the church is found here in these letters to the churches. And so notice that in each case, the address is to the angel of the church. And let's understand up front that the angel here is really just a reference to the leader of the church, the pastor of the church. The word angel, it means messenger. Most of the time when we find this word in the New Testament, it is speaking of a heavenly messenger. We, so that's why we're always thinking in terms of the heavenly messengers. But the word itself just means messenger. And there are times in the New Testament when the word is applied to human beings rather than to heavenly beings. And so this is one of those examples. So it's the, the pastor of the church that is being addressed here. But the interesting thing I want to remind you of with Ephesus is that Ephesus, the church itself, was established by none other than the Apostle Paul. So this is an amazing church. Established by the Apostle Paul, Paul was, uh, he wasn't really the pastor of the church, he was the founder of the church, but remember Paul's ministry was apostolic, so he was on the move, but he spent three years there laying the foundation for that church in Ephesus. Church history tells us that Timothy, Paul's uh, close associate was at one time the pastor of the church after its founding. And then church history also tells us that the apostle John, the one who's receiving this revelation, also at a later date pastored this church. So this was an amazing church. This was the place that every Christian in the region probably wanted to visit at least once in their life, the the church that was started by Paul, pastored by Timothy, and also by the Apostle John. And Jesus, he introduces himself here, and he speaks of himself as, or as he begins to speak to them, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So in each of these letters to the churches, as Jesus sort of introduces himself and begins to bring the message to them, he's going to make reference to himself and he's going to draw on the things that John saw in the vision that he had that he recorded in the first chapter. And so in the first chapter, we see that Jesus is, he's holding the seven stars in his right hand and he's walking in the midst of the lampstands. And this is speaking of the fact that he is the one who has absolute authority over his church. He holds in his his hand the seven stars, meaning he holds the the leadership of the church in his hand. He has authority over the the leadership of the church. And then he's walking in the midst of the lampstands, which means he's present in his church. And so that's how he introduces himself as he begins to speak. And so as we go through the letter, we see that he begins with a word of commendation. And that is generally the case. There's only one church out of all of the seven that Jesus doesn't commend in some way. 
the rest of them, he begins with a word of commendation. He talks to them about the positive things that he sees in the churches. And so here he says in verse two, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and you have persevered and have had patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. And so as we break that down, that word of commendation, I want you to notice three things. Number one, he commends them for being an active church. They were active. They were busy about the things of the ministry. The idea here is that they were toiling. They were laboring even to the point of exhaustion. So they were active. They were busy. They were committed to ministry. Secondly, note that they were orthodox. And orthodox means that they believed the right things. They were a doctrinally sound church. They, they would not tolerate at all any false teaching or false teachers. And that's referred to right there in the passage. Their faith was well-defined and well-defended. They exposed and they opposed false teachers. So they were active, they were orthodox, and thirdly, they were loyal to the cause. They labored tirelessly for the name of Christ. So those are all great things. And Jesus commends them for those things. Now, this letter that's coming to Ephesus is coming after 40 years of history. So this church is about, it's approximately 43 years old at this point, maybe a little more, a little less. So think about that. 43 years of history in this church, planted by the Apostle Paul, pastored by Timothy, also pastored by John. This is an amazing church. And from all appearances, from everything that one could see just simply by observation, it was a solid, Bible-believing, Christ-proclaiming church. It was a great church. There would not have really been anyone that would have looked on at the church of Ephesus and thought, no, you know, they've, they've got problems over there. They would have, in a sense, maybe even sort of been the envy of many of the other churches. They were probably a large church. The city itself had approximately half a million people in it. So you can imagine that there were many people in the congregation over 40 years. It would have grown. You know, in those days, they didn't meet in, in church buildings like we have today, but they would have been spread out with a, a variety of elders all throughout the community. But undoubtedly, there were lots and lots of people that were part of the church. So they had this great reputation. And like I said a moment ago, people from all around would have wanted to, you know, if they had any way to stop in for the Sunday worship at Ephesus, they would have wanted to do that. So everything outwardly seemed to be just really perfect. But there was an undetected problem to everyone but Jesus. To everyone but Jesus. He knew, he saw, and he felt the problem. What was the problem? Well, he gives them now 
the word of rebuke. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Something that no one else necessarily would have picked up on. But Jesus, he knows that he sees it. Of course, he looks beyond the outward. He looks into the heart. And of course, he feels it as well. Because that love that is waning was directed toward him. And so he says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Some translations read, you have abandoned the love you had at first. And the picture here is that of the hearts of the saints in Ephesus growing cold toward Jesus and him knowing that. Now, this, of course, is a danger in every age and among every church. And it's really a danger for every Christian person that we could possibly find ourselves still doing all the right things, still busy about the business of the Lord, but our hearts are no longer engaged as they once were. You see, leaving one's first love doesn't happen in an instant. It happens gradually, taking place as our focus slowly and imperceptibly shifts from our love relationship with the Lord to just simply doing things for the Lord. This, this is just a reality that every one of us have to be aware of, that this potentially could happen to congregations. This potentially can happen to us personally. And so we've got to always be on the lookout lest we slowly drift into this kind of a thing where our hearts are, are no longer fervent toward Jesus himself. We, we might still be super passionate about the ministry. We might still be super passionate about the church. We still might even be super passionate about the cause. You know, there are many people that, that just get really excited about a cause, and you can be very excited about the cause of Christ, and it's a good thing. But we have to make sure that that excitement is coming from a heart that is first and foremost engaged in deep love for Jesus. And if we find that our, our labor or our orthodoxy or our passion for the cause, if it's arising out of anything other than that, that deep love for Jesus, then as good as it looks on the outside, there's something wrong. And Jesus is not going to allow that to continue in that way. So this is a, a warning. It's a rebuke, really. And it's a message for all of us. So what, is, what does it look like to continue in our first love? Because he's talking to people who have failed to do that. They've, they've left. So... It's clear that they were there once, but they're, they've drifted away from it. What did it look like before? What did, what does Jesus see 
that's missing from what was previously there? Well, let me just throw out a few things. The signs of love. You know, what are the signs of love? If, you, if you're just, you know, many of you, of course, uh, have been in love, you're in love, so you know what those signs are. I know what those signs are. But let's think about them just for a second. Signs of love. Number one, there's, there's a, a great desire, a yearning, a longing just to be with the person. Isn't it true? Especially, you know, when you first fall in love with someone, man, you just, you want to be with them all the time. And if you're away from them for any period of time, there's that yearning, there's that longing, there's that desire. Oh, I just, I can't wait for that moment when we can be together again. And there's a delight in the person, a delight that is there even at the thought, just the thought of the person that you love. It just brings delight to your heart just, just to think about them. And you might sit and, and ponder them. Maybe you've written letters to one another and you delight just to pull those letters out and just to read over them again and again. There's delight. And then there is gratitude for the person. Oh, your heart is just filled with appreciation for them. You're so thankful that they are a part of your life. And there's sacrifice involved in that as well. This person means so much to you. You're, you're willing to give up anything for them. You're willing to do anything for them. There's no request that is too much. You're, you're anxious to, to please and to serve. And then I would finally add that there's faithfulness. There's a fierce loyalty when there is real love. There's a, a deep commitment. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That same kind of love, that deep, fervent love that we will share amongst ourselves as human beings, that's the kind of love that he's talking about us having for him. Now, it's not that they had completely abandoned their love for Christ. He doesn't say, you don't love me anymore. He says, you've left your first love. And what he's referring to is that their love no longer had the fervency, depth, or meaning it once held. That's the thing. You would ask a person in the church of Ephesus, do you love the Lord? Oh, of course I love the Lord. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, look at, look at all the stuff I do for the Lord. I'm involved in this ministry and I give to that cause and I'm committed and devoted to the, the truth of the gospel. Well, of course I love the Lord. But yet there was something that was missing, nevertheless, from the perspective of Jesus, the fervency, the depth, the meaning. And as we see, this was and is unacceptable to Jesus. So now he gives the word of correction. And he says this, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So what happens if we find ourselves as we think about this whole idea of that first love and we find that, yes, indeed, we have grown cold. 
if we find that as a church collectively, if I find that in my own heart individually, that yes, you know, I have to confess, I have to admit that although I'm still very much engaged in all of these kinds of activities for Jesus, I have to say that my my love for him is not what it was at one time. What do I do? Well, Jesus said the first thing is we need to remember what it used to be like. In Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord speaking to the nation of Israel, he said this, and I think this is just sort of the Old Testament perspective on the same thing. The Lord said, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown Israel was holiness to the Lord. God speaking to Israel, he says, look, I remember those days when you loved me. I remember those days when you, you had a deep passion for me. And of course, there God is calling them to remember as well. And that's the same thing. Jesus is saying to us, remember. So we look back. Maybe we look back congregationally and we think of a time perhaps as a congregation, maybe there was just a a greater sense of love for Jesus among us. And even though it was a bit intangible in the sense that, you know, you couldn't exactly describe what it was, you you could just feel it. There's an atmosphere of love. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe just in our own lives, we look back and we think, you know, there was a time when my love for Jesus was stronger. When... My, my passion for him, my, my fervency for him, when I wanted to, my, my deep desire was to be with him and to, and to know him better. I spent more time just delighting in him. I was willing to sacrifice anything for him. I was committed to him personally and seeking to honor him by being faithful to him. Those things that we might look back over. Remember, he said, from where you have fallen. And so we must remember where we were. And then secondly, he said, repent. And repent means to change. means to change your mind, which leads to a change in behavior or change in activity. Let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So, Brian, John Bonner, a missionary pioneer in Peru, has written a book. He has written a book called The Myth of Coincidence, and it is such a great book. It's a small book, but you know how both of us love missionary biographies? That's right. Well, this is one adventure, I'll tell you. It's an amazing story of how, you know, John's own personal life and some of the things that happened, some of the tragedy his meeting Pilar, his wife in Mexico City, them being there during one of the big earthquakes, and then the Lord leading them into Peru. And now 20 years they've been in Peru and pioneering the gospel there, planted many churches. And I couldn't put the book down. It was a page turner. So John Bonner, and the title again is The Myth of Coincidence. And he just basically shows through the book that there are no coincidences, that God is at work behind the scenes. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. You can order the book The Myth of Coincidence by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. 
Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner, to help you understand that God is working behind the scenes in your life, too. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th, and this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian, you and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.